Hello, Vancouver, and welcome to the Canucks Hour. We will be discussing Quinn Hughes' absence as a result of him being placed into COVID protocol. The Canucks come back from the All-Star break, and there is a ton to discuss with Chris Faber filling in for Jamie Dodd. The Canucks Hour, of course, is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come. With fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, you can get more details at avenuemachinery.ca. Fabes, we're going to discuss some AHL. The Canucks are down. They're only puck-moving defenseman, really. <laughs> They're only guy who can get the puck moving with his feet through the neutral zone. He's out. He tested positive while crossing the border. Uh, there is some debate about where exactly he was. It doesn't matter. He's in the United States. Can't get across the border at the moment uh, as a result of a positive test, and that means that he will certainly miss at least 10 games worth of games played in Canada, right? He Hopefully the club gets him back sooner than that, perhaps that game on the 17th in the United States, but we will be watching Canucks hockey without Quinn Hughes. So the focus immediately becomes who replaces him, what do they do, what do you think they will do. Is it Jack Rathbone time, Chris Faber? Yeah, I mean, we're looking right now at the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up right now at 650-650. It is all just questions about Rathbone. We can see from top to bottom here just asking, is Jack Rathbone the guy to be called up? Makes a lot of sense when you talk about a prospect who has similar qualities to Quinn Hughes. Obviously not at the level that Quinn Hughes is at, but you're looking for a puck mover. You're looking for a guy who can skate the puck out of his zone, do well through the neutral zone. Left-handed. And on top of everything as well, power play guy, right? Like that is probably where you get the best of Jack Rathbone. He does make a lot of sense here. I'm just curious to see what Bruce Boudreaux's thoughts on this are, because this is his decision to make, I'd have to think. I'm wondering if it's going to be more of, well, we don't want to use him on the power play units. We're going to go with OEL and Myers. So maybe we want to call up a guy like Ashton Sautner, who we know signed a deal earlier when there was some COVID problems and got that one-day deal call up and sent right back down. He could seriously be an option here, just because from what I've heard and talking to Trent Call on Friday – they want Rathbone to really get into a rhythm. I talked to Rathbone two weeks ago as well. Same situation. He needs to find a rhythm for himself. He had the injury that kept him up for five weeks. He had COVID right after that, after he went back into for a couple games. His rhythm is just so all over the place right now that I wonder if having some sort of security of actually getting consistent games in the AHL is better for him. But we all want to see him in the NHL. We all want to see what Rathbone can do. It's not like he's gained a ton of skill this year because of the problems that I just talked about. But he makes a lot of sense to replace Quinn Hughes. But he can't do the same things minute-wise that Quinn Hughes can do. So the question for me is, like, how much does OEL's minutes go up? Because it's going to have to be a big jump for him, who's already playing a lot of minutes. You just can't throw all those minutes to Jack Rathbone right now. No, but Brad Hunt, you'd bump Brad Hunt up, I'd I'd assume. You bump Brad Hunt up, you know, maybe you do something like Myers Hunt, Poolman OEL, and then Rathbone could slot into your third pair. Uh, that would be sort of my assumption, although I do think the Canucks' decision, and, and Bruce Boudreaux in particular's decision, sort of shines a light or or puts a microscope on some of what we've seen from the types of young players and their deployment that the fans get excited about but that sometimes coaches can be a little bit more prescribed in their usage of uh, for example we're seeing Boudreaux like roll hard with a Lamico Highmore Mott line that's basically third or second line usage some nights right meanwhile right before the break we saw Pod Colson and Hoaglander swap turns in the press box being a healthy scratch in the event that they decide to go with Sautner and of course one would assume that perhaps uh, Kyle Burroughs is 
injury status could have an influence on their decision too. Burroughs has shown that he can play the left side. I think the club's been pretty happy with his work on that side. So that might be the, the simple option. And, and, and as such, Sautner gets a call up to be a seventh guy as opposed to a sixth guy. That could be sort of where this goes. But I do sort of wonder, in the event that whoever they call up is playing on Tuesday night, is facing the legendary Vegmelka and the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Uh, you know, if the Canucks decide to go with a more veteran piece, does that pose some difficult questions about the usage of young players under this new coaching staff? Yeah, and I think that's going to be really interesting to see. Like, I don't think that – because what we've seen under Boudreaux, especially – and I want to talk about, like, putting young players on the penalty kill. Like, mm. we've seen Quinn Hughes lately get a few more minutes here and there on the penalty kill. To me, I don't see him doing that with Jack Rathbone, though. Like, I can see that happening with Ash and Sautner in a situation where they want to rotate guys out, and Sautner's a guy that they can trust a little bit more in that type of position. But, it, like, we all want to see Rathbone, right? And I, I just don't think that we would get to the point where you would potentially even see him get any time on the penalty kill, and he might not need to be there even. Like, any of the other five guys is probably ahead in the depth chart to play penalty kill minutes in Rathbone. It's going to just be, to me, what they want to do with the power play. Like, that is going to be it. Because at 5-on-5, five five, what, you're going to get 10, 11 minutes maybe with that pairing, whether it be Sautner or Rathbone playing it, or even Burroughs, like you said. Like, if Burroughs is back, then it's going to be Sautner for sure. You want Rathbone to play these games down in Abbotsford, who play a ton of games this week. You think it's a busy week for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, Abbotsford is locked and loaded till Sunday with, like, two days off or something just in there. They're playing a lot of hockey. And this was the time for Rathbone to, like, get that rhythm back, see what it's like to play 27, 28 minutes. Like, he's going to play a ton of time out in Abbotsford right now, and he's just starting to find the rhythm. You're seeing, like, two good games and a bad game, then three good games and a bad game. Like, Rathbone's just starting to get into that rhythm. That's why I don't think they want to shake, like rock the boat at all right now with him because I think they are starting to see that progression to maybe get him to that point of when we see some moves around the deadline. That is when I'm kind of like thinking maybe hopefully a little bit before that, but I think you can find a rhythm for Rathbone. It can really help his development because we've seen a lot of bad things happen for development in the AHL with this specific organization. So I don't know if they want to rock the boat just yet because of the situation, but if they are going to play him on the power play, it's got to be Rathbone. Yeah, it's an interesting one because – you know, we've seen this club go with some old school sets on the power play of late. Like one of my great disappointments of the oh. season <laughs> is that they had a spread formation on PP2 and then power play two. They only get one power play that game. PP2 doesn't get set up, so we don't get to see it. Two guys at the net front. I haven't seen it since. Uh, I haven't seen it for 10 years. Honestly, I haven't seen it for 10 years. I was so excited. Um, you know, they have been going with Oliver Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes. So. To some extent, when you're using four defensemen on the power play, you have a lot of redundancy, especially now that you have your full coterie of forwards available to you. So, you know, does the power play prove decisive or does getting 10 minutes of safe hockey from a third pair guy bumping Hunt and OEL uh, up a little bit? Is that sort of the uh, the path of least resistance? And, and I also think this poses some really interesting questions about what the club wants to accomplish over the long term, right? If the determination is made that what they want from Rathbone is to marinate, is that that just to have some consistency. He hasn't had any since he turned pro. Last season was a wild ride on the taxi squad, gathering cobwebs, right? Goes down, um, ends up playing and dominating at the American League level. Comes up, gets some games, looks really, really good. And then this season, NHL level, AHL, injury, COVID uh, absence. I mean, it's just been one thing after another for a really talented, frankly, this this organization's best prospect by miles over the next closest guy. So, you know, is there a benefit to consistency with the long view in mind? 
or is it worth seeing him play NHL games with the long view in mind of what you need in terms of returns at the deadline? I, th- I think that's a really interesting thing. We will get a tell tonight. Are you going to be out at the Abbotsford Center this evening? Uh, no, not tonight. Okay. Uh, but I'm back on play-by-play on Wednesday, so I'll be, uh, be out there with good my boy you, Harp man. doing it. Yeah, yeah it's, beautiful. I, but you know what? Like You bring up a good point about this, whether it be the long road that they're looking for or the short-term maybe a little boost that they have right now. Is that not what like the whole organization's question is going into right now with everything at the trades that we've been talking about for months now on these, on these airwaves here, this would be the time for me where you mention it. This is your top prospect. Let's look at the top prospect getting to the NHL level and having the best NHL career. What development is going to get him here to that point? And it's not even like get him to that point quickly. Cause what Rathbone, if he's playing right now with Quinn Hughes and OEL in the lineup, he's still just a third pairing defenseman. Like, there, there's a long road for him to become a top-four player on this Vancouver Canucks team. To me, that's why it's not the biggest deal to just call him up so he can get that 12 minutes of ice time with a little bit of power play time on PP2. Like, yeah. there's no rush at all to get Rath when we've seen him play NHL games. Let him be that guy in the AHL that can help him get to the point of being a top-four defenseman in the NHL. Him not getting an opportunity to find a rhythm and have to be called up here and get these short minutes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, to me... I would love to see Rathbone. I would like to see Rathbone in the lineup every night. But I do think that playing so many minutes, being the guy, does have some point of development for him. And that's where he's at in the AHL right Well, now. there we go. So, I mean, I think that makes some sense, and especially with the path, right? The completely non-linear path that he's taking, taken development-wise over the course of this season to this point. Or not this season. His pro career, since he turned pro, it's been one thing after another. You mentioned the longer-term plans that the organization or the longer-term decisions that the organization has to make. And I think there's a lot of attention on that, as there should be this week, particularly because at long last, right, having spent the last two months on a hiring spree within the Canucks front office, this week, uh, once he returns to Vancouver from spending the all-star break with his family in North Carolina, Jim Rutherford will land and go to the office, and he will see as he walks around his – you know the the I think it's the ninth floor off of Griffiths Way. He will see his general manager Patrick Alvin in town, uh, getting comfortable in the big seat. He will see his assistant general manager Emily Castongay, who is in town at last. She's been working remotely with the clubs from Montreal uh, until today, in the office, ready to go. He will see Derek Clancy, his you know player personnel specialist AGM, who's been evaluating all aspects of the organization's uh, player recruitment and scouting, um, you know, with with interesting echoes that presumably will begin to be felt. And then, of course, Ryan Johnson, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, Stan Smeal. All of a sudden, what has traditionally been a lean Canucks front office is overflowing, right? It's unwieldy in size almost. And this week, the club is... As, as we talked about at The Athletic, you can go read my piece there today about the Canucks holding meetings to chart a course for the future of the franchise. They will sit down together in a room, this group of people, this group of people who will make some really important decisions that will be felt, uh, you know, echoes of the decisions made this week by Canucks management as they hold some high-level decision-making meetings will reverberate into the future for this franchise and determine what course they take ahead of the March 21st deadline. What are you hoping they decide to do what does this club need in your view to move beyond that mushy middle that it feels like they're mired in this season you know what i think the big decision is going to be how hard do you lean into a retool 
right? Like how hard can you lean into a retool? What pieces do you think are ones that are going to help you without being traded? Like I'm really interested to see, I know, you know, hearing you and Farhan talk about this a little bit on the Vancast as well, just chatting about Tyler Mott's future because it's a player that you, you mentioned that Rutherford absolutely loves. That's the type of bottom six player that he likes to see. But there is going to be a potential for a pretty good return, I'd have to say, for Tyler Mott, specifically of what you traded for him. Like, you're going to be able to now turn that into an actual asset that's going to help this team when they're actually competitive. Or is Tyler Mott enough of a piece when this team gets competitive that you do want to keep him? Because there's a lot of really good things that Tyler Mott does. Vancouver Canucks fans know that. They've watched him for the past few years here. But how different is it to just potentially add a draft pick and maybe circle around the offseason like he's going to be a free agent, right? So, like, there's an option for that to happen. I know that that's, like, the dream goal that everyone kind of talks about with the players in this position. But I'm really curious to see, like, what type of assets players like that can return. What type of assets, obviously, JT Miller can return. And just to see how quickly they can boost out the prospect pool. We talked about Jack Rathbone a little bit being the top prospect in the organization. You know, the next guy up is probably Danila Klimovic, who's, you know, doing good in the AHL for an 18-year-old. Not incredible, but he is definitely impressing with what he's doing in the second best level of professional hockey in North America. It's just They just need so much more. Like, were we just not gushing for, like, 20 minutes about the LA Kings and, like, what their defense core looks like? And their prospect This was off pools, air. This was off yes, air. Yes, off air. And just thinking, like, we went through all of these, like, right D that they have, and it's like, wow, look at that. They can trade these guys now. They need left D. They can move now the best position in hockey to trade is the right defense position. They have so many that we went through the list and didn't even mention Brant Clark, who's probably the top defense prospect for them at right defense. This is the type of prospect pool that the Canucks should have been able to build over eight years, and obviously they weren't able to, but it's not like a retool isn't possible. They've been put into a real dark corner, but you've also got some real bright minds coming in now. And like you mentioned it, this front office that they're put together now, like I I love the video that the Canucks put out on social the other day of Rutherford and Alvin walking in slow-mo down the like down the hallway and it looked pretty damn epic. And I thought like as you were naming off the names, I was like, it, it reminds me of like the intro to Brooklyn Nine Nine where they're walking slow, like in the line. Like, do that with everyone yeah. now down the hallway. Like that would be an easy slam dunk for so the, the Armageddon walk with like Steve Buscemi yeah, and Bruce Willis exactly. and just like this loaded cast Ben Affleck, of course. Yeah, like use some of the the outtakes from the uh the superhero video like rogers arena like exploding <laughs> into this new whatever silver surfer looking arena with these people walking out of it like you have the options here you got to do it buckaroo bonsai style so more people are joining the walk <laughs> like the further they go constantly producer justin morissette with the cinematic suggestion Thank dead you. on that is that is his absolute strength yeah <laughs> i'm sure knows. Faber knows all about buckaroo bonsai and the adventures in the eighth dimension or whatever <laughs> yeah. the film is called oh, totally yeah totally. <laughs> not a forrest gump sequel that that reference is over Faber's head, but Quad's got it. Um, oh, yeah. Quad's has for <laughs> sure seen that one. So, you know, it's an interesting point you brought up about the limited room to maneuver. Because I think that segues or dovetails nicely with some of what Rutherford has been talking about regarding the club's limitations cap space-wise. And the priority of gaining that. You know, I sort of asked him about this. I kind of went on the rundown. I said... Your club's 21st in point percentage, right? Just ahead of the Detroit Red Wings. Um, there's not a ton of prospect capital. You don't have your full arsenal of draft picks. Um, you know, and you're looking at about $13.8 million in cap space for this offseason with Brock Besser still to do and his qualifying offer is $7.5 A little bit of confusion on that this morning, I saw, but it is $7.5 uh, Besser's gr- contract is grandfathered in under the old calculation system uh, for second contracts. So, you know, 
do you have to just get weapons? Like, don't you just need weapons and artillery to improve? And and what I mean by that, I'm talking about those foundational weapons. I'm talking about not Brandon Sutter, but the foundational weapons that are excess cap space, draft capital, prospect capital, real tradable assets. And that that is the one thing that, of course, the Canucks do have, which is why this city is awash, <laughs> a constant <laughs> maelstrom of churning trade rumors. And he responded with a, a quote, and this is again from my piece at The Athletic this morning that I thought was extremely telling. And he said, the things that we'd like to do and that need to be done have to be done so our hands aren't tied. This is what we'll try to figure out, and this is what we're going to try to figure out going forward. How do we do that? And I think that's where, like as a caption for what will be decided over the course of this upcoming week, because it's not as simple as trading ex-listener's favorite player or trading this really good player or trading that really good player. You also have to weigh the return and the flexibility gained from trading a JT Miller or a Connor Garland or a Brock Besser against the potential benefit of extending that player for X number of years and, and sort of make a determination in two years, right? In two years, are we better with that deal or are we better with that return plus that cap space? And that is where I'm really curious with, you know, Castonguay, who's going to be the club's lead negotiator. She's slowly going to transition into managing the roster day to day, assuming a portfolio that Ryan Johnson has been handling. But the club wants Ryan Johnson to be focused on player development and player recruitment, right? I mean, college free agents, European free agents. You know who's going to have a hand in all of that? Ryan Johnson. Like that's, you need to free him up to go do the work to find good hockey players. Like that's what this club needs. So, you know, that's going to happen. You're going to have changes likely in both sides of the club scouting apparatus, all toward answering the question of what's best two years down the line for this organization. And this is why I expect there to be fireworks. I just don't know how you get there without dismantling parts of the creaky edifice that is this Canucks roster. Absolutely. And to the Ryan Johnson point, I think you got to see an opportunity for him to want players to come to the AHL with the fact that they moved to the Abbotsford uh, area. And I think that was great. Not only having them more access to guys like overagers coming out of the WHL. Like I, I think of Chase Waters is like the perfect example. The three-year captain for the Saskatoon Blades who's looking excellent in the Wooters. AHL right now. He played awesome in uh, in training camp and preseason yeah, too. And he was awesome. And now he's gaining more trust. He's a guy. But that's exactly what I see happening now with the new front office. And now Ryan Johnson being able to work with Patrick Alvey and work with Jim Rutherford at these European free agents or these college free agents. Like, there are a lot of options, specifically after having COVID last year, where a lot of these NCAA players were like, well, I'm just going to go back for another year. Like, I didn't get a chance to really show my worth. So, well, basically, you're almost getting two full years of NCAA free agents coming out of this year's class. So, there's going to be a strong opportunity to add players in that way. But I, I got to... Like, I just want to ask you this question, Jan. It's like what you were kind of mentioning there was that the two-year down the road, that's why I look at it so different with a new GM coming in here and we talk about a retool. How different is the approach to gain assets in a retool compared to a rebuild? Because I think that's the point that we're at right now is this isn't a four- or five-year rebuild. This is a we have some really good core pieces. We need to look a year or two down the road because I think that the idea with Rutherford, I would imagine, is to next year be a team that's competitive for a playoff spot. That should be the goal of every NHL team going into the season. I disagree with that, but sure. Okay, maybe not every season, but I think at the point that you're at right now, what 
is it that's different from a retool to a rebuild when you're talking about adding assets? Well, you're like, not, what are you approaching more? You, you, the, the difference, the fundamental difference for me, fundamental, uh, everyone can have a sip of their um, <laughs> energy drink. The, <laughs> the fundamental difference is that from a Canucks perspective, you look down this roster and you say, okay, we've got a 26-year-old starting goaltender. We've got a 26-year-old, you know, 60-point, uh, per season centerman who's really really good and plays top line minutes we've got a consistent 65 point over 82 game winger who's 24 years old we've got a 23 year old center slash winger who's struggled this season but we've seen him be outrageously good and we've got one of the best puck moving defensemen in the sport who happens to be 22 so that's a pretty good nucleus right that's a five player nucleus all under the age of 26 so you're probably not at a point where you're thinking we need to find the next key components for the next great Canucks team. A a rebuild, you're like, we have to be bad for years to accumulate the assets we need to find those guys to take our organization forward. And I think the difference with a retool is the pieces around that nucleus aren't good enough. We need to strengthen that. And so we're looking at a shorter process to get the rest of the lineup up to snuff. I think that's what he means I think that's what we all mean when we discuss the difference between a retool and a rebuild and while I see all of that and I think there's merit to that view like I struggle to I struggle to conclude anything but that you know what would really help this franchise another lottery win or a lottery win for the first time ever in franchise history like elite talent at the end of the day is so valuable worth its weight in gold in this league uh, the Canucks have a lot of it, but I don't. I don't think they. I. I, I don't think considering where they're positioned right now, uh, that more of it would hurt. Uh, so I don't know that. I don't know that taking a more significant step back this year or even next year is necessarily the worst play, especially when you consider Tyler Mott's biggest fan being in the uh, 2023 draft <laughs> class. Uh, He's so, gonna rig the lottery for him. Uh, why not? <laughs> he wants to play with his buddy. Go try. Go try. That, that that's sort of my view. I'd find that very tempting because I think that's pretty much the best way to accelerate uh, what you're trying to do, and it's why you know as as I've sort of talked about what the Canucks should shoot for if they make some significant trades. That unprotected first round pick going forward is a key one. Some great responses coming in on the six fifty six fifty inbox. Please shoot us your notes. We've got uh, we've got some ones we'll get into on the other side of the of the break. Um, when, when, when we break down the week ahead and the return from the All-Star break for the Canucks on the Canucks Hour. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour. If you're not caffeinated, you are again after hearing the <laughs> very uppity theme that we use. when yeah, we... You didn't pick that, eh? That was well, all I, wanted, I wanted like news-sounding bulletins. For uh, for the show, yeah, I, I did. That was me. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I like it. I see the text line because I produce your show every once in a while. They don't like the music. I know. That's okay. <laughs> it's good. They're wrong. They want they want um, the Bon Jovi ripoffs from Halford and Bruff. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the, is, so I produce a lot of them. J-Mo might be able to back me up. There is like a fake um, Smash Mouth All-Star track. Oh, wow. I don't know what it's called, uh, but it's in there, and it just, you play it sometimes, you're like, is this like a is knockoff? It like, it's is like, it called Semi-Stars, or like, what's it's it? something like that, oh, but it man. would be like, it's almost if 
it's like adding banjo to All Star, which is like not what you want for an instrumental it's at all. Smash Boosh. The, the, the one day that I worked with Halford and Bruff, we basically every time we came back from break, we tried to guess what band was being ripped off yeah. in the unlicensed in the licensed music or whatever. So good. But you're not listening to Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the Canucks Hour, which is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Learn more, visit avenuemachinery.ca. So we were talking about retools and rebuilds, speaking of machinery, uh, prior to the break and we got a text in from Jacob just want to make sure I heard right did Drance really really is in all caps suggest the Canucks should tank to get Connor Bedard in 2023 I'm, I'm not necessarily suggesting tanking I just think you're in tough to make the playoffs next year anyway short of winning two or three major deals and maybe the draft lottery um, this club's going to be in tough there's not a ton of young players coming that aren't already in the lineup there's not a ton of cap space. The defense is one of the most expensive in hockey and certainly is bottom 10 in true talent. Uh, you've got a great goaltender, obviously. We know that Thatcher Demko can be the great equalizer for this club. And you do expect Besser and Pedersen to have better seasons next year. In fact, I expect them to have a better second half this year mm-hmm. than they did to be, to open the season. Certainly, you'd also look at how the club has played under Bruce Boudreaux and say, and quite reasonably, if they'd played like that all year, they would be a playoff team. That's all well and good, but you're going to see other teams improve too. You've got an LA Kings team with a ton of young talent who are flexible this offseason to go out and upgrade significantly. You've got a Ducks team in a similar boat, although they've got some issues on the back end with some expiring contracts, particularly Josh Manson. I think, is Lindholm expiring as well? I think Lindholm's up after this year as well. So the Ducks will have to address their blue line, but they're going to have a ton of cap flexibility to do it, and we know how much young talent they have. Calgary's not going anywhere. Edmonton's still going to have two of the best players in a flawed roster. Yeah. Um, and then and then the Vegas Golden Knights had Jack Eichel take his first practice in a non-contact jersey. The Vegas Golden Knights are first in the Pacific, and they're about to add Jack Eichel, Jack Eichel, to their lineup at some point in the next little bit, although they'll probably have to subtract some cap space to fit him in. So, you know, as I sort of look through the near-term future for this club, I don't see a club that can contend with the Calgary Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights in the immediate future, and I see a project or a, or a building cycle that has fallen behind, like that has already been lapped by what you're seeing in South California. Like the Ducks and the Kings were competing in the Western Conference Final not too long ago while the Canucks were starting their rebuild. They have since blown up those teams and rebuilt and already surpassed the Canucks in their building cycle. Like they are ahead of where Vancouver's at. I like Vancouver's elite talent better than I like the elite talent in some of those markets, although Trevor Zegras is worth the price of admission, and I think that Kings decor is going to be a problem for years to come for everyone in the league. But they're already at a point where I take their near term ahead of Vancouver's, and I think if you sort of work through it, like as the Canucks front office works through it this week, I think they'll conclude the same if they're being honest and ruthless in assessing their own club. So... You know, if you're setting up to rebuild this team this year, if you're pursuing European and college free agents and part of your pitch is, hey, we're going to have opportunities for you, 
that all of that lines up to me with like that fact pattern suggests to me that this team is preparing to take a step back next year anyway. So go that extra mile to get properly into the <laughs> Fantelli, Michkov, Connor Bedard lottery. I mean, I don't see why that's such a huge leap of logic from how this Canucks team is already positioned and the noises we're already hearing about the direction they plan to chart this deadline. I mean, you look at the timeline of, of it as well. You saw the Kings use the Vancouver Canucks and the Tyler Madden trade to get more future assets, whether it be whatever Tyler Madden ends up becoming. He's been an asset as well as draft picks gaining from that trade. And you mentioned it. It feels like, like I don't think it's a question to ask for this season because you can look at the standings. You can look at how the teams have played through this part of the season. The Ducks and the Kings have passed the Vancouver Canucks already into being a competitive team. You're going to see that next year. You named off the other teams of the Pacific. It almost does line up. And I'm curious, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Trance, about when you see so many teams in your division making a push for it, is it a, that seems like a good time to be, this is the time to step back. You know, it's like in, in the Tour de France, when everyone's starting to push, it's nice to get a little bit of energy back and go behind the pack and use, what do they call it, the wind, uh, you know what I'm trying to say here. I do, yeah. It's the, the same s- effect that you see in Mario Kart. Um, okay. And Quads often sees it from me in Mario Kart as I pass him. Oof. Just want to note this. Uh, but yeah, no, the... Yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but you use the you trace behind the. Fellow I call it the shake and bake, right? I don't know what the uh, the, the actual word for it is. <laughs> I love it. The the so yeah, you could shake and bake. I think in this season <laughs> that makes sense to me. Um, you know, the other thing about a shake and bake, about shake and bake as as a food stuff, okay. is that it's relatively quick and convenient. So it's kind of like a two year retool as opposed to a five year you know complete detonation, which I don't think anyone's suggesting, and certainly I'm not. I like the young pieces here that are under the age of 26. I just think this team needs an awful lot more. And that starts, for me, with opening up oodles of cap space so that you're able to, you know, pounce on what opportunities arise. Justin wants to jump in. Well, everything that you guys talked about in the first segment basically had the theme of kind of foresight and pre-planning for long-term futures here. Well, that's Avenue Machinery's impact. And and if that is the case, then, like, yeah, this team is not going to be trying to make the playoffs next season. Like, we already know that, basically. They're not a playoff team right now. And you could say, yes, uh, under Boudreaux, they might be if they'd had the whole year, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think we all know that the team is somewhere in the middle of what they've shown between both coaches, you know? Yeah. Um, And if, like, how could you come out of this trade deadline and not move off some pretty significant pieces, and if that is what you're going to do, we're all prepared. We've been talking about a step back for weeks now. They're not going to be trying to make the playoffs every year. That's what they tried to do for eight years. Doing something different necessitates, yeah, not pushing all in and spending all your money that you have every single offseason like they did for nearly a decade. And that basically takes yourself out of the playoff running for next season, which means, yes, you should be looking at a high draft pick again. That's just the way this works. So a good text in from Marcus and Gibsons, one of our most consistent texters, by the way. Marcus always has good takes. He says, the fans have loved the front office rebuild. I think they'd love a team rebuild if it's done properly. For sure. This market was crying out for it for years and years. The only people in the market that seemed to not embrace that were unfortunately pulling the levers for the hockey club every shortcut was attempted and what you got was a team that didn't succeed in the present Mm -hmm. and has left a sabotaged foundation for Jim Rutherford and company to try to try and uh, reconstruct and so 
you know, as we look to the deadline, and I think we should shift gears and talk a little bit about the week ahead and got, some of the I got to sneak odds. something in real quick. We talked about, like, the Canucks maybe going back behind the pack. We've got a lot of text into the Dunbar inbox. I find this hilarious. So what it's called when you go behind the pack, it's called drafting. Drafting. Which is absolutely hilarious. Downforce drafting. That is what we would like to see, potentially. If you are taking that step back, you're going to be looking towards drafting a lot. Oh, and no. I just found that hilarious. The and old the, draftist uh, battles are returning. I yeah. just think, to be clear, there's a difference between tanking and accepting what you are. Right. That's a really good point. You have to be... I think that's a really important distinction because it's not about stacking the decks against your club as if you need to lose for five years to assemble the elite core so much as it's accepting that you're in a downturn in your window and leaning in to make sure you get full value from what's going to happen to you anyway right this season for example the Canucks open their games on the other side of the all-star break and and I want to get into this week because I think this week is a very very interesting one for the club on the ice but they open that with 8% playoff odds, according to Dom LeCision's model at The Athletic. And Drink. Drink, yeah. That's another another for your bingo card. Um, 8% is not a great out- outlook. That is long odds for the Canucks. And if you wait to make some of the moves that we might expect the club to make in terms of trading some really good players uh, at high salaries, in terms of trading salaries just to move salaries, in terms of doing some of the money-in-money-out deals for your middle class. If you wait to do those deals, you do, to some extent, give this group of players who performed extraordinarily well under Bruce Boudreaux chance to win more games. And to some extent, there's risk in that too, in that, you know, the 90... 2% odds that you don't make the playoffs is what ultimately pays up, which is which is very likely, and yet you win enough that you further sabotage your draft position, which, by the way, is like a Vancouver Canucks special, right? They went from fourth overall to ninth overall after the playoffs had already started last season. It was ridiculous. So, Wouldn't I'm, they have won the uh, Austin Matthews lottery if they just lost one more game in Anaheim yeah, or something that, like that? Yeah, but that's always how it is because yeah, of the exactly. way the draft lottery works with the, with the different combinations right like every team is always one or two away like yes you were one away from winning the Austin uh, Matthews uh, lottery but you also probably would have been one away from winning the Austin Austin Matthews lottery if you'd like been 11th you know what I mean like it's basically like oh I was at Burray's first practice oh I was just one pick away from Matthews or McDavid you you can't worry too much about it okay I got got a text I want to get in quickly though about this and maybe just ask you this is from Nick uh one problem with Drance's tank plan is that Thatcher Demko is going to steal too many games for the Vancouver Canucks to even get there yeah I mean there there is a there is a definite risk to having really good goaltending and that actually dovetails nicely into what I want to talk about regarding this week upcoming Canucks host the Arizona Coyotes on Tuesday. The Canucks host the New York Islanders the very next day on Wednesday. Do you know what the New York Islanders and the Arizona Coyotes have in common? They're bad. They're not very good. They're both behind the Canucks in point percentage. I was expecting some advanced stat to come out of you, not just say they're bad. (laughs) And so you look through that and you think this is a big two-game stretch for the Canucks. You get four points from the first two games back from All-Star break, right? And this team that needs to go uh, play at something like 105-plus point pace just to get to, like, the fringes of the playoff bar 
is often running, often running with games looming this month against the Ducks and some of the teams they're chasing. And it'll be interesting to see what they can do. Can they carry that momentum forward? And I want to posit that these two games are extremely dangerous for the Canucks. Okay? Tuesday night, you face Vegmelka the Entertainer. I don't know how much you guys have watched Carol Vegmelka play this season, but Carol Vegmelka, behind the worst defensive team that I've seen in years, is worth the price of admission. Like, honestly, make sure you watch the Canucks game on Tuesday if Vegmelka is playing. Make sure you watch from front to back because the Canucks will probably have 50 shots. So if you like to see the players you like getting opportunities to score, watch on Tuesday. What's the However, price of admission in Arizona anyways? <laughs> so he's not that good? No, no, no. However, if you if you get frustrated when your favorite players get opportunities to score and get absolutely robbed, Vegmelka is not for you. He is an absolute stud. Kirill the Thrill, as far as I'm concerned. He has usurped Kaprizov. Um, he's must like honestly, I've watched way too many Coyotes games this year simply because Vegmelka is sick. And we've seen him do it to the Leafs. We've seen him do it to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, he he broke the Colorado Avalanche home winning streak. Yeah, unreal. single-handedly. The guy is wildly good. Just wildly good. And so that game is legitimately a dangerous one. That is not the easy win that it looks like on the schedule. Because when Vegmelka's in net, doesn't even matter what you throw at him. There's a chance that he's going to frustrate you. And then on Wednesday... You face this Islanders team that had one of the messiest starts to the season that you'll ever see in terms of they they were on the road for the first eight weeks of the season. They were brutal. Uh, They've had a wash of blue line injuries. They have not been themselves at all. And yet since December 5th, like since the Canucks made their coaching change, the Islanders are one of the hottest teams in hockey. And they're back to being what we know of the Islanders, which is they're less a hockey team than a boa constrictor. They get a yeah. they get a small lead and then they just slowly choke the life out of their opponents. They are that team again. That is not the easy win it looks like if you just look at the standings. The Islanders are back to doing Islanders Barry Trotz hockey things. That is a really tough game, especially on the second leg of a back-to-back for Vancouver. So this week, leading up to a Saturday game against the Maple Leafs at 4 p.m., right? That is obviously a tough game. We all know that. Um, This is going to be a really challenging week for the Canucks, and I think a really decisive one because, you know, at this point in the season, they need at least four or five points out of every three-game stretch to accomplish sort of what we're talking about, right? You need need seven out of every ten points, so you need three-and-a-half-ish points from every three-game stretch. Yeah. Um, Going to be, or sorry, three-and-a-half from every, well, whatever. You need a lot of points. (laughs) <laughs> four and a half points from every three game stretch through four points out of every three game stretch. You need a lot of points. And so the Canucks are in tough this week. And I'm really curious to see if they can get off to a hot enough start on the back end of the all-star break that it makes those discussions. We know will be ha- happening off Griffith's way by Canucks hockey operations leadership, even more difficult in that they'd have to continue to ignore the recent form that the club has shown under Boudreaux in order to do what certainly on this show we've reached a consensus and deemed necessary if this club's going to be a contender. And it, you mentioned it's going to be a hard week. Now it's going to be even tougher without Quinn Hughes, right? I mean, you're going, this is the guy who 
if you just look at it from how a player adjusts for possession numbers or scoring chance numbers, possession of basically everything offensively and creating good offense at five on five, I think Connor Garland might challenge a little bit at certain degrees at five on five for possession numbers, but Quinn Hughes affects possession numbers more than any other Canuck on this team and plays massive minutes at five on five. This is a really bad week to not have that guy in your lineup for this Vancouver Canucks team. So it is going to be curious to see how much more pressure is on the OEL, whether we see him stay with Tyler Myers. I, I think just all in the defense core, you're going to be asking a lot of puck moving out of Brad Hunt, a lot of puck moving out of OEL. And I think they've been able to kind of skate around the side in the shadows a little bit of Quinn Hughes. This isn't a spot where OEL, who has been in that position in the past as the number one, this is why he's fallen in, I think, nicely in the Canucks defense core, is he's really, really a good couple steps behind Quinn Hughes on what he's bringing to the Canucks every night. Now he's got to take those two steps up and be like Quinn Hughes moving forward, and that's a huge task to ask, whether you're putting all that pressure on OEL or putting some on to Brad Hunt as well. Either way, that's too much pressure for those two players, I think, for this week. Well, and then the knock-on effects that you're discussing from Hughes's absence, I think, go beyond insulating that OEL Myers pair, which has been their matchup pair for the most part. And we all know how many minutes Myers has played, but also, you know, you throw Luke Shen in with Quinn Hughes and it's like, okay, Luke Shen as your second pair, right? D is fine. Fine. Totally fine. Uh, Tucker Pullman, same thing, although to a lesser extent, because I don't think his game complements Quinn Hughes quite as well. Um, you know, Brad Hunt, you're right. Brad Hunt's been playing third pair minutes at five on five, which has sort of helped cushion, um, you know, some of the occasional defensive warts that can show up in any third pair defenseman's game. Although I think Brad Hunt's been a super useful contributor for the Canucks, especially at the cap dollar that he signed for. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Hughes's absence puts a lot of burden on some guys who aren't primary puck movers to get the get the play moving the right way. And I do think it's going to put some stress, too, on, you know, certainly the down ticket uh, right defensemen who no longer get those Hughes minutes, um, which are different types of minutes because really you just defer to the guy who's a one man breakout machine, um, both when you're in your own end, but also in the offensive end. Yeah, just get it to the get it to the left side of the point. Yeah, the right D is basically like hosting a show with you. You just kind of <laughs> let the other guy run for a <laughs> I, while. I like to think of it as like um, you know the levers on a pinball machine. Yeah, you know, just like just like do your job, keep the ball up, and let uh, and let Hughes be the flashing lights. You mentioned it a little earlier in the show. You, I guess, the way that you see the defense core shaping out now, because the way that I look at it is, I think that Myers and OEL are going to stay as a pairing and get a ton of minutes. But you've kind of floated the idea that maybe OEL, we see him play with Pullman or play with. You know, another right D, maybe even Luke, maybe even uh, Luke. What am I saying, Luke, Luke Shen, Shen here? And is I, that I, something you see happening? Because I see that pairing that they've used for a lot of minutes just now playing a week of a lot of hockey and a back-to-back mixed in there with a big Saturday night game. That's a lot for these guys, but I see it going that direction as a ton of minutes for the Myers and OEL pairing. Well, we'll get some answers at 3 p.m. when the Canucks take the ice for their first post All-Star break practice. Uh, that will answer a ton of questions as to how Bruce Boudreaux prepares to attack the absence of Quinn Hughes. Um, you know, I'm also curious to see if we might get a call-up before then, right? If we might see, you know, whether it's a Sautner or a Rathbone or someone brought up to practice with the club. I think stay tuned to your Twitter accounts for the next two hours because we are going to learn a lot about how the Canucks plan to manage the Hughes absence um, just before practice begins, and certainly once practice does begin, um, I you know I think you're right that OEL Myers is probably the most likely pair to remain together, and yet I do sort of wonder 
if there's, especially with the back-to-back set, a right out the gate, a reluctance to just go 35 minutes with them on back-to-back nights considering their age. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think there are un- other options where you could fatten your defense pairs so that you have, you know, 45 minutes or 50 minutes you feel comfortable with as opposed to just 40. Like, even if you play them 40 minutes, you know, that's less than if you play them separately and have at least for at least you'll know if they both play 25 minutes for 50 minutes of the game, you've got one of them on that. That would be sort of my narrow expectation. But but I think you may be right. Certainly yours is the path of least resistance or the path they might show today if they want to disguise their actual intentions for the <laughs> um, Coyotes Islanders game. And of course, also worth noting, the way that a team play takes line rushes is not necessarily the way they'll deploy. Right they're, they're It's more important to look at minutes than it is the order of things in rushes, in, in my view. My final thoughts uh, as we kind of wrap up in the air. I just wanted to get a quick little note in as well. Vancouver Canucks prospect Lucas Forcell, uh, who a lot of people are very excited for. He was one of the youngest players in last year's draft. A lot of people. A lot of people involving me. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I mean, this you, is this is. Fi- everyone tells me that I'm too negative today. We we have more yeah, favorable me, coverage. Fifty percent of bit. the people in the studio currently <laughs> are very excited <laughs> That's about okay. Lucas Forcell. Good percentage. Youngest kid to play in the SHL. Yeah, two, he's uh, he's actually an impressive. Ago prospect for a seventh round pick you know what if he was 10 days older he would be a top 100 pick for sure trending very well yeah so he signed a two-year deal uh, to stay in the shl so won't be coming over north america anytime soon but the two years in the shl really good spot to develop for him good kid just turned 18 years old very young i think there's some decent upside to this yeah there is well and you know what when you have those seventh round picks all you can do is try and pick a guy who a year later would go a lot higher because that's how you win like that's how you win with those players hopefully they continue to progress that way and you eventually get a, a, either a real player or an asset that you can at least include and he's you've talked about this a lot Jarence. i know in the past he's a guy who you're likely going to see on the world junior team next year that's when he becomes an asset that's when that he, exactly and and i mean my my default position in private as faber will tell you is that the moment a prospect has success at the world juniors you should trade him immediately yes. um but that's Adjavich, Kosmar, we've seen this <laughs> that's, that's my that's my that's my um my pet take uh, in general, but thank you to everybody listening to us. Uh, the Dranson Faber version of Canucks Hour with Justin Morissette um, producing and and chiming in, a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for filling in, man. Absolutely. And uh, people show we're going to have an hour uh, in between for right now, but two o'clock. David Quadrelli and myself are going to take you all the way all up right. to Canucks Central at four o'clock. So excited for that Canucks uh, conversation, then Canucks Central. Yes, we haven't decided because I want to steal a segment or two. Like I want to steal "Don't at Me," but do we have to call the people show or we can go Canucks Warm? But I haven't decided yet. But you'll see it at two o'clock. That's when Quadrelli will take I'd over. I defer to Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably should. But yeah, we'll see. Oh well, thanks for listening. This was your Canucks Hour. Check back tomorrow and we'll have, um, I don't know, maybe Faber again. We'll see. All the best.